Welcome to another episode of Cultured and Loud. I'm Christine and I'm here with my co-host Scott. Hey everyone. Given the events unfolding across our country following the murder of George Floyd, I've been educating myself a great deal on how Asian Americans often contribute to the harmful stereotypes that the Black community faces each and every day and how we can become better allies. I've been overwhelmed with social media's response in both good and bad ways. I'm glad the social media has been proliferating information regarding protests, allyships, bail funds, but I've also been disheartened at the amount of performative activism I've seen. Let me be frank, I've definitely accidentally contributed to trends that perpetuate performative activism, even if I hadn't been directly doing so myself. I've been signing petitions, spreading awareness and resources, donating and taking other steps to be an ally. But I also posted a black tile, which contributed to the censorship occurring on Blackout Tuesday. Yeah, kind of in the same boat with their view there, Christine. Um, and just a little bit of honesty for me. Um, I've been quiet. Um, I mean, like whenever I get just seriously overwhelmed by things just happening around me and like all the responses to those things on social media, I tend to freeze up and just shut down completely. I probably don't have much to add to the many things that have already been expressed, but here we are anyways. I was reminded that we do have a platform and it's our responsibility to voice the truth and to actively pursue change. This is worth stirring up the waters for because to be silent and inactive is to perpetuate the very injustice that we're fighting against. Everyone has their unique way of cultivating change, whether it's having a presence on public media through many conversations, supporting black businesses and artists, petitioning, donating, listening, lots of self-reflecting, protesting, etc. But choose your own path and keep your foot on the gas pedal and don't be afraid. Even if you're late to the game, be not afraid. Do not tear each other down. Simply be there for each other and be kind to one another. As author Ashley Island writes, not many will see you learning, confessing, repenting, uprooting, retooling, forgiving, inviting, empowering, but we will see its fruit. Remember that change begins within each of us. Yeah, and to go off that sentiment, I know that a lot of people have expressed like this like idea of like, I need to be silent because I don't have the same platform as other like people. But remember that it's like not just about posting social media. Like you don't need to have a thousand followers to like spread education. It's also those uncomfortable conversations in your living room with people who may not, like they may not be directly racist, but they're not anti-racist yet. And we need to like cultivate a culture that makes that um, more accessible and more like common. We also have like other platforms and injustices that we need to face for like the black community, like beyond like just police brutality, because we'd be dumb to think that like, police violence is the only issue where people of color are not treated equally. Like in the healthcare field, we see these massive disparities between like the ways that black Americans are treated within the system. Um, within the schooling system, we see like remnants of like inner city school districts not being nearly as resourced as like suburban like districts. And we also see like remnants of redlining and other historic trends that we still have a lot of work to get to. Um, and I think using our platforms in those unique spaces is a great way for us to begin taking those steps to be better allies to the Black community and to be less performative within our actions. Watching the protests and riots occur, it's unique to me how the Vietnamese American community hasn't been actively showing nearly as much solidarity as they should. You'd think that coming from a community that has experienced systemic oppression in other ways, via the immigration system or the commodification of our identities and various portrayals, that they'd be stepping up to talk about systemic injustice. However, the opposite is true. Um, 
A 95 study from Oliver and Grant analyzed the empirical evidence on bi and multiracial political alliances, found that Asian Americans were most likely to form alliances with whites, Latinos, and blacks in that order. For more information on this, look at the article, Interracial Politics, Asian Americans, and Other Issues of Communities of Color from political scientists Claire and Jean Kim and Teku Lee. Throughout this podcast, we'll be referencing a ton of sources for you to like become better allies for the like people of color as well as like different ways to educate yourself. And on Cultured and Loud, we recently released um, a translated version of these resources in Vietnamese that you can check out at Cultured and Loud on Instagram and Facebook. But a big issue is because this community has also had to socialize to this model minority stereotype. And we've perpetuated that in more subtle ways of like trying to be like white passing or to like act like white people to like escape oppression and the injustice and fear following like the United States treatment of them. And we almost wait for people to react like them, which is the wrong response. Yeah, I just want to take a step back a bit and touch a touch a little bit on the subject of race from the Asian American perspective. You know, just some general trends that I found observed and also some things that I've personally experienced in my life as well. And yeah, just um, I think that race is a very complicated concept for the Asian American people. And uh, I remember talking to Christine about um, this whole thing. And I think that we've definitely experienced both the disadvantages and the privileges associated with race. So I just want to go through a little bit of, of that. So uh, first, the disadvantages. Um, we're often seen as, you know, uh, the, the Asian American people are often seen as uh, foreigners who don't belong in this country, you know, with the history of being excluded from immigration and citizenship. And if you go back to the World War II days, an entire population of people being removed from their communities and homes and forced into internment camps. And then when that was over, they're basically released back with absolutely nothing at all. And then um, some other struggles include, were often openly mocked, um, very common ways um, that I guess other people tend to, you know, poke fun at us is either, you know, the way we um, either look or the, the way we speak, um, et cetera. Um, we're often overlooked in both social and professional settings, and we're definitely uh, victims of xenophobia even more now during like this COVID-19 pandemic that I won't go yeah, into that as much. Kind of going off of that, um, I feel like a lot of the conversations that I've had with people in like my community is that like if we acknowledge the racism happening to like black the black community right now that that like somehow like unjustifies like our oppression because like it's not as bad mm -hmm. and it's important to acknowledge that like being an ally to the black community does not mean that one, that you have never experienced like oppression, does not mean that it doesn't like delegitimize or like um, belittle like the oppression that you face. Mm -hmm. But it's also important to like recognize that like people of color have faced like unique forms of oppression within this yes. country and that like the system tries to pit us against each other, which shouldn't be the case. Um, my favorite crisis ice cream is Ben and Jerry's and following their prolific statement, um, we know that the murder of George Floyd, it was not like an accident. It was not a result of like a few bad apples. It was a result of a system that has continually perpetuated systemic racism in like the laws and policies that it's codified in the ways that like over-policing has taken place in like poor communities. It's in the way that like the war on drugs and the historical remnants of that have remained in like communities of color. And it's important to acknowledge that like, this is not a one-time incident. 
like the black community is not protesting just for like George Floyd. This is a repeated and routine interaction that we've seen. We've seen people like being harmed by the police for sleeping, for like carrying a toy gun on the street, like actions that like would not have affected people of other faces. And that's why that we can't remain silent about this anymore. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely agree with you there. Yeah. Now on the flip side, um, here's where the Asian American people have enjoyed like those privileges of race. Uh, and this is where we start to see where that model minority theory comes in. So the stereotype um, for us is that we tend to be, you know, is that we're assumed to be um, hardworking people, be smart, reliable, trustworthy, upstanding citizens. All right. Doesn't sound too bad. You know, it's better to have people think this way about us than the opposite, right? But I think that's like the trap of the model minority theory. And it seems like a lot of um, Asian Americans, I mean, myself included, have bought into like this theory. And there are some who even like propagate this themselves. And why? I think it's because it's like the story that we want to hear and tell. And just like before I uh, kind of finished off with that, I want to quickly introduce a point about the immigrant mindset. And I want to draw a little bit from the stories that um, my grandparents and parents have told me about escaping Vietnam to come here to the States. So basically, in short, um, it's all about in order to survive, keep your head down and keep your mouth shut. Complaining will only make things worse, even if the complaining is warranted. The goal is to survive. You know, that's what my dad grew up with. You had to be the best and make the highest marks because if you didn't, they'd draft you into the army and send you to the front lines. Either be the best, the top of your class, secure that promotion, or else bad things will follow. And thankfully, I can honestly say that my parents have spared me from growing up with that mentality, you know, encouraging me to always try my best in my own way and it's okay if I mess up at times, but it seems like that survivalist mentality has made its way to a lot of people in the Asian American community. And then you have the model minority theory that rears its ugly head. And you know, buying into that idea of the model minority is buying into a narrative that serves us and gives us that false illusion of comfort and self-worth when it looks like we're actually able to align ourselves with those in power, those whose approval and acceptance that we long for. Um, according to a study done by Kochner and Khalifo, Asians overall are the highest earning ethnic and racial group in the US. And it was found that in 2016, the median annual an income for an adult Asian American was about $51,000 compared to the median of $47,000 for white Americans and $31,000 for African Americans. But at the same time, Asian Americans also have the widest income gap, which we won't get into today. But overall, these, I think, are like the big benefits that the Asian people have reaped from the model minority theory. Yeah, and to kind of echo that statement, we have to acknowledge that we are benefactors of an, un like we're beneficiaries of like an unjust system. Um, like we've been like 
the oppression of like other people of color has benefited our community. And I think people have a hard time like accepting that fact because for some like, you know, it like diminishes their sense of like achievement. It makes like, it sound like I'm attacking their achievements and not like the system. And like, that's not the case because I grew up in like a Vietnamese immigrant community. So like, I know how deeply ingrained competitiveness is into like the spirit of like the culture because like, you know, you compare, I like in my community, it's very often to be compared to like family members, kids and to like, other people's kids and like as well as to like other people like in your class and like there's this idea that like if you're winning you can't get like hurt and unfortunately that like sentiment extends into these unjust systems that we've been beneficiaries of we have to acknowledge both like historically like 400 years of oppression like we are living on like stolen land from indigenous people we are living off like systems that have benefited from like black bodies that were used in like slavery and the creation that created like many parts of like this country and it's important to acknowledge like that the we've contributed and perpetuated many of these unjust systems whether like unknowingly or like unwillingly mm -hmm. yeah and i think with all these factors in mind i think i can see a reason why um as christine mentioned earlier that um the asian american community seems to be silent when something like the civil unrest surrounding the murder of george floyd happens and this is where we have to start to realize that these factors aren't going to let us off the hook when it comes to being a voice against injustice. Again, to reiterate, to do nothing is to perpetuate the injustice that we're fighting against. And for this next part, we actually want to highlight some of the ways that the Vietnamese community has fed into the systemic racism and debunk those myths and cultural stereotypes that we've held as a people, and a lot of which comes from um, Christine and I's own personal experiences. Yeah, and to go off of that, like, I know that a big, like, argument that I've been having with a lot of my friends and family in the community is that, like, why is me not, like, praying for the end of this, like, enough? Like, why do I need to call these numbers to, like, talk to like why do I need to repost this information why do I need to like care like I'm you know busy and like all those like excuses but remembering that like when we are silent we are contributing to the spread of this injustice we're making it like okay we are like washing over cycles of systemic oppression because like as a practicing catholic like I acknowledge the power of prayer like I think prayer is a very powerful tool to get closer to God to pray for like injustices in our society and to get closer to ourselves but sometimes we are the answer to our prayers. Sometimes like God is calling us to um, do more than just ask him for help. He's calling us to sign these petitions that literally take no like time at all. He's asking you to like send these drafted emails to these elected officials to call for like injustice like in the community. Um, like and call for like justice for these victims and for their families who are greatly grieving. He's calling us if to like donate if we're financially able to these organizations that help to build like this justice that we seek and like we promote like in the church all the time. Which is why like I've always kind of had a problem with people like going to church and then being like very silent about the inaction happening in their community, whether that's like um, violence against people of color or like the internment camps at like the border. Like it's always really like, bothered me deep inside. And I've been reading a little bit of like Catholic social teaching on like dignity of the respect of the human person and it's important for us to acknowledge that like racism is a sin and being complacent to racism is also like a sin just because like I like if you don't speak out and if you don't like seek to like even mitigate it at like any sort of level you are part of the problem and you are like contributing to that and I'm reading um I'm reading this book on Catholic social theory right now and I one thing that really hit me and like in regards like everything going on in our world was like 
Christ isn't asking us to just like pray at the foot of his cross. He's asking how we can help others who are in the position of like the cross, like in that oppression and injustice and suffering. How do we help them get down from that cross? Um, how do we help them like carry their cross instead of just like looking at it and being like, that really sucks. Like that's a big cross. Um, and as Catholics, I think that we're called to take further action and moving on into like the whole like stereotypes and like the ways that like anti-blackness is often like unfortunately rooted itself into our culture and correcting these issues takes time. I grew up in the Vietnamese community of Southern Oklahoma City, but I was fortunate enough to have the opportunity to transfer to Edmond, which is a small suburb of Oklahoma City um, during elementary school and stay in the district. Living among a pretty large Viet family and spending my weekends in the Vietnamese Catholic community, I've heard a lot of stereotypes and misinformation that contribute to their complacency in the Black Lives Matter movement. When my aunt started driving all 10 of us to school in Edmond, she'd tell us to worry when we saw black students coming out of the car. She'd just tell stories she'd heard while working at the Vietnamese supermarket. And there's like this weird stereotype in this community that like black people are innately more dangerous. I've seen this like up and down the board. And a lot of people have a hard time coming to fact with it. Like a lot, like when I like call people out on it, they're like, I'm literally not being racist, Christine. Um, but we need to start to correct these assumptions in our community and like, not being a ra like not being racist isn't enough anymore we need to actively work to be anti-racist and correct like these misperceptions and assumptions that we may have in part like contributed to in like our cultures um american sociologist elijah and anderson explained that the stereotype of black people being like innately more dangerous has culminated to a point where it affects people's very perceptions of african americans Many Americans feel apprehensive about encountering anonymous Black people in public places, and he writes that a strange Black man can be viewed as a criminal or crime-prone until he can prove that he's not, which is, a dif which is difficult to do in the split-second interaction that occurs in public places. We have to acknowledge the injustices of our criminal justice system perpetuates and the ways that inequality manifests within it. So I have some memories from my own childhood, uh, just playing outside after dark with my cousins and their Viet friends, you know, this part of the neighborhood that they were living in just happened to have a lot of African-American neighbors. And I remember some of the comments just made by the adults. Um, one thing that really uh, stuck out to me uh, thinking about it now was um, something along the lines of, don't stay out too late. There are black people who live here. You know, being that young, I didn't make too much out of it, but look, looking back at it now, it absolutely just makes me feel very uncomfortable and sick to like the stomach. You know, just that automatically assuming that your neighbors are these people with malicious intent. I mean, that's just awful. You know, so just to reiterate, you know, the false assumption that Black people are more dangerous than other people is a huge issue that needs to be addressed and corrected within, like, all of our communities. And I think that kind of fear is heightened when all we hear are stories of rioting and looting. And I want to talk a little bit about Ferguson here. So I've lived in Florissant, Missouri, for much of my life. Um, my family used to live in the Central West End, but about a year or so after I was born, we were in search of something more affordable for an uh, immigrant family still making their way in the world. And so we came to Florissant. And from my house to Ferguson, it's about a 15 minute drive. 
all of which is considered to be part of North County, St. Louis. And based on the racial and ethnic data from the 2014 American Community Survey, about 53% of the population in North County is Black or African American, 41% White, 1.6% Asian, and then everyone else. We moved between two different houses in our time here in Florissant, and my family had grown close to the people in the community here, and some of our closest family friends are indeed Black. And I remember now and then when we'd have relatives or other members of our Vietnamese community visit, they'd sometimes ask questions like, why did you move all the way up here? There's barely any Viet people, but a lot of Black people. Um, I think my parents would just brush away those comments. I mean, what could you really say to that? You know, we were happy living here and we loved getting to know all of our neighbors who were mostly black. And then you have an, this absolute tragedy like Ferguson happened and the public outcry for justice is met with violent clashes between protesters and law enforcement and you have this overwhelming amount of stories about rioting and looting. So how did that impact my family? Well, I can tell you that my relatives were definitely worried and they feared for us. And certainly there was a great deal of anxiety about us living so close to everything that's happening. And there were definitely a lot of conversations about it, you know, even checking in with our own uh, black neighbors that we know to see how they're doing. But at the same time, things got a little bit icky in terms of ideology. And this one point stands out to me. The black people we know are good people. The rest out there who are burning and looting are the bad people. So this is extremely, extremely harmful thinking for a lot of reasons. But one of the big ones is that it's dehumanizing the person to be associated with an act, in this case, a violent act. And in a way, it's kind of like the, the halo effect of racism in play, where human beings are judging and labeling others based off of preconceived notions, biases, what they've heard, etc. And you've effectively separate yourself from another human being and you close yourself off to their plight, to their need. You know, you end up burning any bridge there is to developing a relationship with that person. And this kind of thinking really needs to be deconstructed. You know, instead, I think we should strive towards more of what uh, Father Greg Boyle writes in his book, Tattoos on the Heart. You know, this idea of there is no us and them. There is only us. Yeah, and going off of that, I remember correcting someone in my community the other day because, like, they put out this post that was pretty much, like, people don't care about George Floyd. They just want to loot and, like, riot things and, like, steal, like, these Louis Vuitton bags. And I remember, like, just, like, typing this giant paragraph because I was, like, upset. And I was, like, the problem is two things. First, like, the Black Lives Matter movement organizes these, like, very peaceful protests. But what happens is people that are not associated with the organizers, people come in and they, like, basically, like, hijack the movement and they start, like, throwing things into windows and they start destroying and looting small businesses and then the people who the media portrays as doing that is the black lives matter movement it's important to acknowledge that like 
a lot of times the organizers, they can't control who comes to their protest. It's a public protest. They can't control how people act. They can only control how they act. So pitting an entire movement based on like these acts of violence that like these people can like who hijack the movement and aren't even like a part of it perpetuate is extremely harmful. But furthermore, we should really be asking ourselves the question, why are we focused on the destruction of private property instead of the destruction of black lives? And I think that's always hit me like really hard because the media and like especially like in my conservative state of like Oklahoma, a lot of it portrays as like black like black Americans being the ones perpetuating the crime when like the opposite is true in like in many, many, many cases, and Black people are often victims of the criminal justice system in ways that are not covered by the media. According to Columbia economics professor Brendan O'Flaherty in his book, The Economics of Race in the United States, he writes that the big difference for Black is murder. Murder victimization rates are especially high for young men over the period from 2002 to 2011. The murder victimization rate for Black males peaked at age 23 at 100.3 per 100,000, whereas the peak for white males age 20 was at 11.4. Blacks represent a quarter of young men in poverty and are disproportionately likely to be arrested. Black men are roughly six times as likely to be incarcerated um, as a white man on any given night. And among black men without high school diplomas between 26 and 35 years old, about a third are incarcerated on any given days. These aren't statistics that you and I can remain complacent to. And it's important to help our communities understand that it's unjust systems like these that the criminal justice system manifested itself in, in poor communities of color. It's not the people who are dangerous, it's the systems. Vietnamese people and many other model minorities have fed into this mindset that we need to adapt to the systems and that we need to act white to deserve the recognition that we have. But the reality is we need to dismantle these systems of oppression, systems that would rather us compete against one, one another than to work with one another and to build each other up. I want to briefly mention the commonly stated point of all lives matter. First of all, yes, absolutely, all lives matter. But think of it this way. Uh, there's a priest named Father Rob Galia who uh, provides this image. Um, he says, imagine that you are at a funeral and the eulogy is being given and this loved one is telling everyone about how much the deceased was loved, how much they mattered, and how heartbreaking the loss was. And then all of a sudden, somebody walks up and takes the microphone away from them and says, but wait, all of these people matter too. How horrified and shocked would you be? It's kind of the same thing with all lives matter. Yes, all lives matter. But right now, you're missing the point. The point being is that it's our black brothers and sisters who are hurting and are being hurt. And it's with their communities that we need to stand in solidarity with. And it's like in the gospels as well. Jesus goes after the one, leaving the 99. He loves the 99 as much as he loves the one. And they all matter equally. But it's that one that's in danger. It's that one that needs somebody to stand with them. And it's also important to acknowledge that like, how can all lives matter if black lives don't matter? We need to stand in solidarity with the Black Lives Matter movement because one, they're the population that's been continually exploited by like the American capitalist system as well as like the American criminal justice system. 
but also to like they are the ones at the forefront of the violence right now like violence affects them disproportionately compared to like other ethnic groups like i'm not saying that like the people have never like faced oppression they clearly have um i'm not saying that any other like people of color have never faced oppression but like they also many of them don't walk out on the street and fear for their lives each and every day many of them like do have the ability to call a police presence when they're in danger without fearing that like an innocent life is going to be taken. And it's important for us to acknowledge like the immediate need for us to stand in solidarity with the Black Lives Matter movement today and always because like this is not like a new thing. Like police killings are not new. They're a result of a system that has fed into it. They're a result of systemic policies that have gone unchecked for far too long. And like it's now more important than ever that we use like social media and other tools and other platforms to fight for justice like in this like in this regard and in all like other platforms where black lives are not treated equal um treated equally to like their white counterparts or even to like other people of color it's important for us to acknowledge when we have been beneficiaries of a system that is unjust and it's important for us to like use our privilege and recognize it and use that platform to empower those who are not lucky enough to be in the same situation Mm -hmm. Yeah, then just want to, you know, going off of that, you know, this idea that both um, St. Paul and Dr. Martin Luther King use is like the idea of we are the one body in many parts. And when one part suffers, every part of that body suffers. And so if injustice happens somewhere, then you can bet that is ultimately also a threat to everywhere else. And also to add on top of that, um, just kind of like thinking about um, just points that I've had in conversation with some of my good friends from the Black community. Um, I just want to share just some encouraging insights from my friend, Eddie. Um, so basically, this is what he has to say. He says, we are designed to interconnect whether it's within ourselves or with others. When we are healthy within ourselves, things are not so foggy and opaque and seeing the world clearly becomes much easier. When we have healthy relationships with others, we feel more uplifted, seen, understood, and secure. And it's these relationships that help to take us to another level that we could achieve by ourselves. So this is a fight that we must stand together in. Again, one body, many parts. So as we close this podcast, I want to encourage you to be actively anti-racist, to educate yourself, to have these uncomfortable conversations, normalize being wrong and correcting your mistakes in like performative activism or activism, and recognize where you may have inadvertently contributed to the systemic issues that are unfolding right now. Are you uncomfortable? Good, you're learning. Stay cultured and loud and remember that Black Lives Matter today and every day.